just a little while ago, Aubrey was talking about some things that we have coming up here at Oak Point Canton. I just want to hit on those real quickly again. One of the things we're all about here, if, you, if you've been coming for any length of time, you can probably finish the sentence. Here at Oak Point Canton, we are all about knowing Jesus and making him no, good. So you hear that every service, right? We, and we do that intentionally because that's what we want to be all about. We want to know him. We want to make him known in our world. Um, and really the making him known flows out of our knowing him ourselves. And, and so we have a couple of events because so much of what we do is about knowing him, right? We come here on Sunday mornings. We spend time in his word. We sing worship songs to him. We go to life group. We spend time discussing God's word together and knowing each other and knowing him in those moments. And, and so we, we have a lot that's focused on knowing him, but we have a couple of events and opportunities coming up here that are more about making him known. So telling others about him, having opportunities even just to develop relationships where we can share about that by how we love and how we live and uh, what we say, and all of those different things. And so that's what we have coming up. And really, church, we need you. We, remember, it's not, we don't go to church. We are the church. And we need the church to step in on these things about making him known. And so that's next weekend, and that's the end, end of the month where we're trying to connect with this immediate community. And we're really still trying to make up, I believe, for, for lost time. Because we were a baby church when everything was shut down. And so then you get through that period of time, and it's like you, you don't have that newness where people never heard of you before, but also you don't have that lack or that, that familiarity where you have uh, already had the opportunity to develop that relationship. Um, and so we just, we're just trying to make up for lost time. And so we want to definitely invite our community out, and, and we would love it if it's just about every family in this room represented could in some way help us pull that off. And we need uh, different positions and roles. Another way that you can help along with that is just by bringing people out to it. You know, bring people and invite people along, especially uh, the closer you are, the more important that is to this area. But really anywhere, bring them. It's going to be fun. We're going to have inflatables. We're going to have food. We're going to have activities. All sorts of great stuff going on, especially uh, that's next weekend on the 13th for Rock the Block. The other one, we're just tapping into an event that's happening here in the village and just being a part of that. So invite people to those events, uh, especially next Saturday. And if you could, please jump in and be a part of helping us pull those things off. We are, I believe, in part seven of this series, Promises. I was actually supposed to be in the kids' room this weekend, uh, helping out Oak Point Kids. Last weekend, I was supposed to be speaking at our outdoor service, but after two and a half years of Matrix-style avoidance, I finally got hit by the Rona. Uh, it finally came through our house. Half of us got it. Half of us didn't. Back to just about full health. Now. I mean, well out of the uh, contagion zone, but still feeling those lingering effects, which is great because now I can just blame um, my forgetfulness on the corona fog, you know, COVID fog. It's great. I, I never knew. You guys should have told me I would have gotten this long ago. I would have gotten all, all sorts of trouble uh, over these past couple of years. But no, I just, I'm just kidding. But we, we, we are enjoying this series and promises um, and, and just talking about out of, out of 2 Peter chapter 1, as our home verse, just our promise maker, the way maker, and he's a promise keeper to us. And it's because of who he is that his promises hold firm and, and hold up uh, under all things. Here's what it says in Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that, so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
He's a worthy promise maker. And so we know he's a promise keeper because of who he is. So God's promises, they have power. They, ha- they have, they, you know, they, they, they have uh, something we can depend upon in all things because of who he is as the promise maker and nothing else. And today's promise is no exception in that. It's a promise that really only God could make. As we think about our world, um, there's all sorts of new types of security that have had to happen over the last several decades, right? Because we have, we have this vastly, really vast and really quickly um, developing technological world, right? We're now like, we don't even have to carry around physical wallets half the time anymore because you can access your bank accounts and your credit cards on your phone. You can, you have access to all sorts of information. All your personal stuff is out there. And so there needs to be all of this security that goes around that. Now here's the thing with security as it relates to things that, that mankind has ever set up. All security has been or will be breached at some point, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's finite in its ability to really be secure. And that's why security exists to begin with, probably because something has, has been compromised, and then they add security to it, and they leave it there, and then eventually that gets compromised, and then they beef up the security, and they figure out how to try to stay one step ahead of those who are threatening your information or your funds or, or your safety or whatever. And that's what security is in human terms. God offers us a specific type of security, but once again, just like he's a promise maker who never breaks his promises, he's also the the security that never breaks down, right? His his security is truly secure. In week one, we thought about that word promise, right? What what do you think of when you hear the word promise? And one of the things I said, I, I would wager that just about everybody in the room has go through their mind the idea of a broken promise, when it comes to security, you might think of security, you might think of a breakdown in security. But with God's security, it never breaks down. It's perfect. It's perfect. Now, I, w- I do want to throw a caveat out there as we jump into this idea of eternal security, that there are Christians who love the Lord, who believe in the authority of Scripture, who would disagree with some of the thoughts that I'm going to share about eternal security this morning. And we love those brothers and sisters. And, and if that's you then you, and you're in this room, we welcome you into this fellowship. It's not a major and it's not a salvation issue of what you believe the Bible says about eternal security. But I believe that Bible is ver- the Bible is very clear that we have a security in Christ. When we're in him, that he does not let us go. And I think there's great comfort and motivation for living godly lives that comes from that eternal security that he offers to us. We're going to be in John chapter 10. If you got your Bibles and you want to be following along, John chapter 10 is, is our primary verse for this morning's message. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. Jesus is giving, this is a really rich chapter, and he's giving this illustration about him being the good shepherd and the, the fact that he has sheep from uh, this pasture and other pastures. He's, he's a shepherd. He's the good shepherd of his sheep. And he's also sort of in this little bit of a battle with some of the Jewish authorities at that time as well. And in the midst of that conversation, he says this in verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
verse 30, I and the Father are one. At the sound of that last statement, some of the Jewish leaders picked up stones to put Jesus to death because he was claiming divinity in that moment. And he was claiming unity, oneness with the Father. And this is one of the many, many passages where we have developed the, the uh, theological principle of the, the Trinity. That there is, we worship one God. That the Old Testament scriptures in particular are very, uh, are very intent on making sure we understand that God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is unified. There is only one true God. All other gods are pretenders. There's, no, there's not real power or real authority or ultimate authority, at least behind other gods. There's only one God. There's one God. But yet there's three persons. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. God the Spirit is God. Each one is fully God. Each one is also fully distinct. And that's one of the mysteries of theology. Just trying to wrap our minds around several things can really begin to make our brains hurt. The fact that God is eternal, never had a beginning, never will have an end. Eternity bends our minds and our finite minds in a way where we cannot fully grasp that. God's tri-unity, his his oneness, yet his distinctness in three persons, that's another one of those truths that really makes our head hurt when we start to try to think about it and fully grasp grasp it. Yet it's true. We see it in scripture. We see Jesus saying, I, I, I am the, I'm God the Son. We see God represented as God the Father and God the Spirit. He is, he's God as well. And yet there's only one God. And it's not that they appear, it's one God appearing in different modes. There are three distinct persons. And so it's one of those mysteries of the scriptures. And we see that, we see that in this passage as well, where Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. We are, we are one Together. John talks a lot about the, the divinity of Christ in his, in his gospel. And, and we see that. But the main thrust of this passage that I want us to grasp this morning is that we have positional security in Christ. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he says, my father who's given them to me, he's greater than all. No one can snatch my sheep out of his hand. Once I'm holding on to someone, no one can remove them from my hand. We have positional security security in Christ. And again, this security of being in Christ and never being able to be removed from being inside of his hand is not dependent upon us. A couple of months ago, I know I, I shared about this, this um, concept, but maybe you've been here before. Uh, there, I always love when I'm at a pool, I like to get my kids to try to jump into me when they're young, you know? And I've had some who are a little bit resistant to that and others who are just like, you need to calm down and don't be so anxious to jump into the pool. Uh, all across the gamut in my family. But when I'm in the pool, I'm, I'm trying to get a kid, a, a child to jump into me. It's not their ability to swim that should give them the confidence to jump, right? It's my ability as their dad to catch them. It's my ability to hold them up and keep them safe. It's not their ability to swim. And, and in, this, in this way, it's the same thing. Our security, our eternal security comes not from our ability to follow or to be faithful. It comes from his ability to hold on to us as our father, as our heavenly father. It comes from all from his ability. We see this in Romans chapter 8, this concept repeated by Paul We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We cannot be separated from the love that God has for us. And really this, this idea, theologians call this idea justification. This is our legal standing, okay? It's a legal term. Justification is a legal term. It has to do with our legal standing. It's a one-time and immediate event. And so when you become a Christian, when you receive the free gift that Jesus offers to you, boom, you are justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned, right? He calls us not guilty. He declares us innocent. We are justified. It's a legal standing. It's a one-time immediate event. And really the statement is, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm forgiven for the things that I've done wrong, for my mistakes, forgiven for my past, present, even future sins. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means. That's what the idea of justification is all about. And we see this. We see this security throughout the pages of Scripture. We are given salvation. We are declared not guilty. It, we are forgiven. We are forgiven for all of, all of the things that have ever gone wrong. And it's a permanent thing. Paul tells us why it's a permanent state for us in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 13, he says, You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when you heard, you were, you were justified, right? And here's the sign of that. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When we believed, we were marked with an official seal, a stamp of approval. It was a deposit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our redemption. It guarantees our inheritance until our redemption, right? So it's, it's a now but not yet type of promise, right? It's something that we experience now and will experience even more fully in the future. We are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as, the, as Paul says here in Ephesians 1, guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance. And so it's the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, his presence in our hearts and in our lives, is that guarantee. It is that promise that, that we have an eternal security. Now, I know many of you right now are probably thinking, what about those experiences I've had where I've been walking alongside someone who is demonstrating faith, demonstrating trust in Christ, demonstrating growth, even maybe demonstrating what seems to be uh, the Holy Spirit working in their lives, but then later they abandon the whole thing. What happens? What's the deal with that? Because sometimes our experience flies in the face of what we, what we seems like we're reading here on the pages of Scripture, what Jesus is promising to us. Now, I, I can totally relate to that because I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church, and I had all of those basic truths um, taught to me since I was a child, since I was an infant. And uh, so I had a great base to work on. But when I got to high school, I realized that this is not a, a decision that I can inherit from somebody else, right? This is not something that can belong to somebody and then gets passed to me. It has to be between me and God. Um, God, I think Pastor Bob Shire used to say it like this, God does, he has no grandchildren. He only has children, right? We can't inherit our faith from somebody else. And so other people can speak into that and create the right circumstances for us to have that opportunity. And for me, that was in high school. I realized I couldn't just have my parents' faith. I couldn't have the faith that I saw in other people at church. I had to make it my own. But when, and when I did that, I felt like God supported me with people around me who were making similar decisions in my life. 
right? One of those people was my sister, right? Completely separately, she came to that same realization. And so we became like a great source of fellowship and support for one another in that time as well because we were realizing we had similar uh, experiences and we were realizing this needed to be personal. And then I had another friend, my best friend at school, in high school. Um, you, you might be surprised to know I was in a pop punk band when I was in ninth grade. Uh, we were called the Refills. Um, <laughs> And I, and I played the drums, not very well, but I did. And he, he, was, he was the bass player, but like the, the main driving force of the band. And, and um, I, he, he also had a similar experience at that time. And we were, we were getting involved. In, in fact, he's the reason why I ended up at Oak Point. He got invited to Oak Point Church in high school. And we were meeting in the barn of the past, at the pastor's house uh, for the youth group. And that's what I walked into. I met my wife in that barn. Right? That's where, that's where so much of my life, um, Christian, my Christian life, especially my walk with the Lord, started, or not started, but really was um, brought to fruition and where I grew just incredible amount uh, during that period of time. And he was the reason I was there. And we were sharing fellowship. We were reading the Bible. We were sharing things that God was teaching us. And all of a sudden, like a year later, he just decided to walk away. And I remember, really, it was a head-scratcher, right? Because I was getting taught all these great truths and these great promises from God that once we're held in his hand, no one can take us away and all of that. And here I am experiencing this situation, though, with my closest friend walking away from, from the Lord. And um, that, was, that was difficult. But to make sense of that, I think, is very challenging in light of promise. I'll just acknowledge it is hard. It's hard. There's not really an easy answer to that. The only thing I can say is that we don't always know, even our own hearts completely, but certainly not other people's, right? And there are times when someone is exhibiting, uh, you know, things that, that are consistent with God, with his word, with his spirit, with his, their, his activity in their lives, and yet maybe their heart's not fully there, Right? They're, they're doing those things, but the motivation could be for something else. For him, his motivation may have been for approval of, of some of the other friends that we had fallen in with at that time, who that was what they were all about. They were believers, they were following Jesus, they wanted him to be a part of that and to fit in. Maybe he felt like he had to walk in that way for that period of time. And so we don't know a person's heart fully. Or it's also possible that a person wanders away but their hearts never really left, right? God still has a hold of their heart, and their actions may appear that they've walked away, but deep down inside, they're still holding on to that, and if you follow their life long enough, they're going to come back around, and God's going to, he still has them. It's just, they're just in this wandering, rebellious phase in their relationship with him. But here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2 as it relates to this. He's talking about some who, who were leaders in the church even, who began teaching false doctrines, um, and, and he says this in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For, the, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So what is he saying? He's, he's saying they didn't have and then lose a salvation. They didn't have it to begin with. There was something that, that they were pretending, something that they were showing on the surface that wasn't true deep down. So how can, how can we be sure about our salvation? How can we be sure about that? We, we, we need to answer a few questions for ourselves. The first question is, do I trust in Christ alone as my source of salvation? 
Am I trusting in him actively right now for my salvation? If you can answer honestly yes to that from the deepest part of your heart, that's, that's what it takes to be saved, right? That we believe with our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. That what he did for us was sufficient for us to be forgiven and to have eternal life. So if, do I trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? Do I seek the evidence of the Spirit's, or do I see the evidence of the Spirit's work in my life? Do I sense the Spirit working and moving in, in me? This is a tricky one, right? Because sometimes we, we are doing right, right stuff, but it's not even clear to us all the time why we're doing those things. What's the motive behind that? But when we can see the evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives, and, and there is, when we don't, there's all sorts of potential reasons why not. Not all of them being that we're not, we're not in Christ. Some of them are just because we're not putting ourselves out there for him to have to step up for us. And we have to put ourselves in risky situations to see the Spirit move. We open our mouths to start sharing with someone about our faith, about what Jesus offers to that person. And then we'll sense the Spirit's work in our hearts. Put ourselves in something uncomfortable that we want to do for God. But am I seeing the Holy Spirit move in my life? And I, am I experiencing a long-term pattern of growth as I walk with the Lord? Am I experiencing growth with him as I walk with him over time? And as we see those things, if we answer those questions, we can be assured of our salvation. But really, it's between one person and God. We can't see another person's heart. We have enough trouble seeing our own hearts. But when we really spend time thinking on those questions, we can be assured of our salvation, that we are in his hand, and that no one can take us out of his hand. So this covers our security as it relates to our legal justification, our standing before God because of Christ. But this is a relationship, right? And that was one of the things that really stood out to me as I crossed that line of faith and, and really made my faith my own, is that this is a relationship with God. Between me and God, I can't have a relationship with you because I know someone else, right? That's not a relationship. I need to have a relationship with you because I know you. And that's how it works with, with God. When we have a relationship with him, it comes out of our knowledge of him directly as our God. It's a relationship. So there's a relational side. There's not just a legal side. There's a relational side. Uh, sticking with John in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And when we do that, our, our, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what, that's what God does when we confess, when we, when we uh, tell him, agree with him uh, about the things that we have done to rebel against him, when we confess our sins to him. He is faithful. He, he's faithful and he is just, right? He gives us grace. He gives us truth. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This tells us that we not only have uh, legal security in him, but we also have relational security in Christ. We have relational security in Christ. He doesn't decide whether or not he's going to forgive us. He, he, he's already bound himself and promised that he will forgive us when we confess with, with a pure heart, with a true heart toward him. He knows that we're not going to be perfect. In fact, it said it right there in that passage. If we claim to be, out, we, be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In that same passage, it says, when we say we don't sin, we're actually calling God a liar. Because he says, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, we do. And he knows. He knows our hearts. We, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect in this life. You, you, I mean, whether we're saved or unsaved, we cannot live the perfect life. That's why Jesus came to die for our sins. If we could do it, 
If we could live a perfect life, he wouldn't have had to give himself for us. But we can't, so he did. So when we screw up, we still have security, though, in our relationship with Jesus. Relational security, this whole idea, uh, the the theological word for this um, process of becoming more like him is sanctification. So you have justification on the one hand, and you have sanctification on the other hand. And sanctification is a relational standing, right? It's a continually occurring process, whereas justification is a one-time event. Uh, Sanctification is a process towards godliness. And the statement that we're making when it comes to this idea of sanctification is that I am changing. I am changing. I'm in a process of change where I'm allowing God to have his way in my life and I'm surrendering more of myself to him. Surrendering surrendering more of myself to him. So what about the idea, because this has been going on ever since Paul first wrote about justification and sanctification in the book of Romans, at least that long, this, is, this has led people to think, well, that's just a license to sin then, right? As we tear down the idea of legalism, you have to obey all of the rules in order to be declared righteous. You have to be a rule follower and check all of the boxes, right? Because Paul is saying, look, that's not how we come to salvation. It's free. It's a gift. It's by grace. You can't be perfect. You won't be perfect. As he teaches those things, some people have in the back of their heads, but that's a license to sin. That means you just do whatever you want, and then you confess, and the slate is wiped clean. You have, you have you know, this eternal security being held in the Father's hand. You have relational security that even if you knew that was wrong to begin with and you were just going to ask for forgiveness later, he will forgive you, right? So this is where it gets complicated. This is where it gets difficult. And really that speaks to where we are at in our hearts of how much we even understand the gospel. That's really what that speaks to because it's not a license to sin at all. That argument was made toward Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means, he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's not a license to sin. Here's what it really comes down to. When we're forgiven for something and we know that we don't deserve it, that should motivate us better than anything else to to live a better life from from then on. When we are forgiven for something and we know we don't deserve it, if our response is to say, well, it was fun, so I'm going to do it again because I'll get forgiven again, then it shows that we don't understand the sacrifice or the posture of our God towards us. We don't get it. That's when we're not grasping or understanding the gospel. I'm not saying it's not possible for a Christian to make that mistake. Sure, we, we can have that mindset at times, but when we're doing that, we are not pursuing forgiveness or confessing the way that he's calling us to in 1 John chapter 1. When, when we are broken in our spirit, when we come to him mourning over our sin, when we understand that what we're being forgiven of is something we don't deserve, and then we turn around, we're going to want to be as far away from that as we possibly can. Not in a legalistic sense, but out of a relational love and well-being. If you've ever been forgiven for something, when you knew that other person did not have to, maybe shouldn't forgive you, you know what it's like to be in that place of, of saying, man, it doesn't make me want to do it again. It makes me want to run away from it. Because that, that thing that I didn't deserve, I was given. I was given free of charge. And we're not trying to get away with more when our heart's in the right place. We're trying to move towards that Savior who offers us that unconditional forgiveness.
It's a process. It's not all at once. So what, what does this all mean? What does this all look like as we walk through this complicated life? How does this apply? Like, Because these truths, I think, are, are really highly applicable for us as we walk through life. First of all, if you don't have security in, in your eternity, you can have it. I believe that you can have it. And that just, that just looks like bending the knee to him. That just means confessing in your heart and with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Inviting him in, receiving the free gift that he offers to us, quitting trying to earn that on your own. Don't do that anymore. Don't try to earn anything from him, even his favor. He gives that to you. He gives you his grace, his favor, free of charge. And he doesn't want you to try to earn that from you any more than we might want a child to try to earn our love from us. No, but when there is that love in that relationship, then our lives take that direction. And so really what sanctification is, becoming more like Jesus, that process of of becoming like him and, and getting rid of sin in our lives where we, we look more and more like him every day, that process is something that's based in love and it's a response to grace. It's making your life a thank you note to him for what he has done for us. So if you don't have security, you can have it. That's application number one. Ha, you know, grab hold of that security in your life. Number two, if you do have that security, embrace it and rejoice in that security. Rejoice in that. Give thanks to God for that. It should cause us to want to worship him with our mouths, with our song, and with the way that we live. And then the third thing is allow these truths to motivate you toward more and more godliness, right? When, when this guarantee becomes a license, that means we don't get it. But allow it to motivate us toward more and more Christ-likeness. Ask God, where, where in my heart have I wandered? Where am I not fully surrendered to you. Help me to surrender to you. Confess those things and then, and then turn from them. And allow this, this attitude that God has towards you to be the great motivator. There's, there's a precedent in scripture for asking God to search us and reveal things to us that we're not even aware of. Because at any given moment right now, we, we are, are dealing with stuff inside of our hearts that we are not even aware of. But God is. And he can, he can illuminate those things for us so that we can confess them to him and walk with him toward godliness. And so it's a great opportunity to do that. At the end of the day, we know we understand the gospel. We know we understand the salvation justification and the sanctification process of becoming more like him. When we respond to the gospel like it's a sweet sound to our ears, right? When that, when that freeness, that life becomes real and we respond the way that that followers of Christ have responded for a long time with thinking about how amazing that grace is that he has toward us. And we're going to reflect on that right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us a grace as amazing as the one you've given to us. Lord, we can't even comprehend it. We can't even comprehend it. Just like we can't comprehend everything about who you are and how you are, about your eternity, about your triunity, we also can't comprehend how much you've loved us how much you've given for us. How every last thing that you want us to do is for our good and for your glory. So now, Lord, we reflect and we sing on this incomprehensible love and grace. We, ha we pray, Lord, you help us to make that more and more real as we walk with you. Pray this in Jesus' name.